Episode 18 of Sports Cards Culture. I'm Chris here with Nick, Christina, and Josh. Before we get into today's topic, which is a good one, let me briefly point out one of the new features that we rolled out at Card Ladder this week. Josh here recently gave the collection feature several upgrades. So, first of all, you can now track your collection value going as far back in time as you wish. For example, if you bought a card in the year 2006, you can add it to your collection and the graph depicting your collection will now depict from 2006 to present. Remember, Card Ladder has all-time sales histories of cards, so our software will recreate the trajectory of your collection going back to 2006 or however far back you wish to go by plotting that card's historical sales data over time. You can also predict the value of your card over time by tying it to the price fluctuations of another card or of several other cards. The collection feature walks you through how to do that step by step. Josh, tell me more about this new all-time functionality that the collection feature has. How hard was this to develop? What gave you the idea to do this? Well, I use uh, several other financial apps to track my own personal investments, and uh, my favorite app is called Betterment. It's an investing app, and uh, they they did the graph sort of like I built it out. Basically, you it starts from the day you you began investing with them. And when you first, uh, you know, invested your first bit of money into their account, and then it tracks the progression of the value of the actual uh, portfolio against how much money you've put into it. So you'll see like the investment part like go up as you uh, add increments of money to it, and then your, you know, your value one kind of follows along with it. So that was the inspiration, and I pretty much just followed what they did. Um, you'll be able to track the last three months down to the day, and then. Prior to that, it would be you know kind of spaced out depending on when you first started your portfolio, but you'll get a nice trend line, and it does accurately map against all-time sales history. These aren't made-up values. We're not using algorithms to determine some random price based on any indexes. It's actually following sales history, and it also is prompting you to try to get you to, to map your, your more rare cards to some cards in our system so that we can keep track of the value as it goes. Well said. We definitely put a premium on hard, concrete, real data rather than fictional data, especially when that data is available. A researcher just has to take the time to go find it, which we do. Uh, So second, the collection feature now displays pie charts that break down the compilation of the cards in your portfolio by player and sport. So this is a cool way to visualize how diverse your collection is. Uh, Josh just mentioned something else that I want to underscore once more, which is that you'll now have two different lines, um, much like the Betterment uh, portfolio tracking tool on your collection graph. So you will have one line for your collection value, the other one for how much you invested. So you can compare how your collection value has grown relative to how much money you've put into it, which can be a useful metric to see how well or not well you're doing investing in sports cards. Uh, Josh, is there anything else that we should touch on with respect to the upgrades made to the collection feature? Yeah, it's important that you pay attention to the date purchased on your cards. Uh, we, we're, we were not using that that field prior, but I knew that we'd, it would come in handy eventually. But So you got to pay attention to the day you actually purchase it. It needs to be a realistic date. If you put in a super old date, it'll actually throw off the calculations of the all-time graph. It really is going to pinpoint the day you bought it, what it was worth that day, 
how much you invested that day and it's gonna really plot out the entire history of everything you've purchased and sold so if you sell you'll see the investment line dip back down so the date sold is also important and if you're managing the quantity of each card individually uh, those individual purchase dates and prices you paid at each given interval also matter so all of that goes into it it's a very complicated calculation so just pay attention to the dates you're putting in all right so we're excited about that feature collection tracking is one of the most popular features on card ladder and it just got a major upgrade several major upgrades in fact our first topic for today is a fun one and i think we may have discovered the greatest flip the greatest flip in the history of sports cards christina we hear a lot of talk about flipping in the sports card community and this term Mm -hmm. also gets used in other contexts like real estate investing things like that pancakes pancakes <laughs> but it all but it has a slightly different meaning in sports cards very different than pancakes yes when you hear that someone flipped a sports card uh-huh what does that mean uh to me it means that someone purchased a card and then turned around and sold the card exactly josh is there anything we should add to that definition or maybe some cultural context surrounding what a flip is in sports cards I would add that um, there's some intent behind it, like you purchase the card with the intent to sell it at a later date, but that that's not necessarily true. I think mean, maybe like if the the price went up so much, it sort of like has now come upon you to sell it and flip it after the fact. But I think there is a little bit of intent behind it, and maybe the duration. You could probably like put a box around how long of a time period it is between the flip. Good point. Uh, the one we're going to point out today uh, may well have been an unintentional flip uh where the market price just got so <laughs> incredible that this the the owner didn't have a choice perhaps so let me tell you the story yes please in case you were unaware one of the primary ways that we decide which cards get added to card ladders by using our submissions portal you can find that by logging into your card ladder pro account and looking along the left hand menu the way submissions work is card ladder subscribers submit cards that they think should be added to the database Other subscribers can then upvote or downvote them, similar to Reddit. Cards that get voted to the top of the list get added every day. A card surged to the top of the submissions portal not long ago. It was the 1979 Panini Calciatore Diego Maradona PSA This is a cool card, all right? It has only been graded by PSA a total of 178 times. It depicts Maradona, also known as El Pibe de Oro, the golden boy who is regarded as one of the greatest soccer players of no. all time. No. Maradona passed away last Doro. November at the age of 60. Our research team, we're not specializing in pronunciation here. Our research team added all PSA grades with sales histories of this Maradona card to Card Ladder, and we found something startling when we added the 1979 Panini Maradona PSA 10. It's a pop one, and it has two recorded sales. The first sale was on January 12th of 2020, which is not terribly long ago. It sold for $6,600 in a seven-day auction with a seller named Small Traditions located in Denver, Colorado. The second sale is where things get crazy. The same (laughs) card sold again at auction on April 7th of this year with golden auctions for a staggering (laughs) $555,000. Now think about that for a second. This card was a little shy of seven grand 15 months ago, and then it sold for over half a million dollars last week. Over those 15 months, the card appreciated 8,200%. To put that differently, it increased 83 times. Its value quintupled, 
every month for 15 months straight. So talk about a compounding return. Uh, I don't know if the card changed hands privately over the last 15 months, but let's just pretend that the winner of the eBay auction was in fact the person who sold it with Golden last week, which is a possible scenario. If that's true, I cannot think of a more impressive flip. Now, I can see on card ladder that the 2003 Net Pro Elite Roger Federer has increased by a larger percentage over the last year. It's actually up 120 times. It was a $10 card a year ago, and it is a $1,200 card now. But even if you bought all 24 copies and held them until now, you would have made around 29 grand. The Maradona owner made over half a million dollars by investing 6,600, enjoying the card for 15 months, and then sending it off to auction. All right, so let me tag in Josh. I think the first question many people might have is, how can a card that was worth under seven grand be worth over half a million just 15 months later? And there are a lot of factors that go into price appreciation like this, so let's see if we can break them down. Uh, Josh, this Maradona 1979 Panini card, PSA 10, it's a pop one. What does it mean that a card is a pop one? How can something like that affect its market? Talk to me a little bit about the concept of population scarcity. Well, I think you said there's 178, um, and I would presume this is his rookie card. So it's if there's a, a collector out there that wants to collect Maradona and they want the rookie card, uh, and the population of this being one for the PSA 10 is a is a huge huge uh, factor in this this giant flip because if you've got a large group of people who want to collect Maradona and they want the PSA 10, which is usually the most coveted rookie card, especially in modern. Um, then you know you want the PSA 10, and only one person can have it. So you you get this like auction bidding war uh, going in, to where if you've got two people who really really want it, you know they're just going to bid and bid and bid. And I'm not sure why that didn't happen in January. Probably you'll probably get into that next, but it's mostly like the the rise of soccer, and you know that whole market has just exploded in the last year, and it seems like that that sale snuck in right before that that boom, and then someone took advantage of it and sold it now. And there's something appealing, Josh, to investors in particular about PSA 10 being the highest possible grade attainable and there only being one. I I think that plays a factor here, too. There's only one best version available that provides a nice mix of exclusivity and condition um, quality that people like. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's almost like the, you know, the PMG green for Maradona collectors because this is the only way to get true scarcity uh and rarity in a card is to have the through the population definitely now there's always a risk right that there might be another psa 10 coming down the pipe Uh, is that that could be too though right yeah but it's a pretty old card i know that there's like some vintage basketball cards i'm thinking of like julius Irving rookie card i believe is a pop one i believe wilt chamberlain's rookie card is a pop two or three his psa 10 52 mantle is a pop three and so a lot of those, you know, it's going to be really, really hard, almost impossible to increase the pop on that. The Maradona one, though, is a little different, though, because soccer has exploded so much that there could be a lot of raw copies out there that people didn't think were even worth enough to grade that they might now. Uh, so there may be more that come into the market to be gradable, and whereas those basketball ones, not, not as much. Christina. Yes. Pretend that you won this Maradona card at auction for half a million dollars. And I'm your friend who doesn't know anything about sports cards. Uh-huh. Explain to me the psychology behind spending over half a million dollars on a rare sports card like this Maradona PSA 10. Why do we as collectors spend staggering sums of money on cards? You ready? Yes. 
I wanted it. <laughs> That's it, huh? That's it. I wanted it. It spoke to me. I had a personal connection to it. Josh is shaking his head no. <laughs> um, when you're spending that kind of money, right? You're That's like a McMansion. That's a very nice sum of money you could take and change people's lives with. Uh, so when you're laying that check down or that card down or whatever, that wire transfer down, to put that kind of money on the line for a piece of cardboard in some plastic that says 10 on it, you really have to be thinking about a lot of different factors. I mean, that card has to speak to you. You have to believe in the player. You have to believe in the market. You have to think that the value of the card is worth more than what you're spending. So though they spent half a million, they're probably thinking that card is worth a lot more than that. Um, that's, that's Those are excellent factors. Yeah. Let me... Uh, t- you're touching on both the heart and the mind. Yeah. The, there's an emotional component to of it. Of course. Uh, that, that, it, that characterizes collectibles, period. But then there's also, when that much money is on the line, you're making a bet on the market and a place to park your money that you think is should at least be somewhat... Uh, you should be somewhat optimistic about it. Of course, you don't want it to flip the opposite way. Right. right. Ideally, in not. fifteen months, it's back to seven thousand dollars, <laughs> you and you're like, uh, "What did I just do?" <laughs> All right. Let me get Josh to weigh in on this same question here. Uh, what do you think about Christina's explanation here? What would you add to it or take away from it? Yeah, that's a great answer. I didn't think of a few of those. Um, I was going to point out also that I'd be I'd be extremely nervous paying that much because with a card that rare you really have to have you obviously have to have someone willing to to pay more than that in the future but also like have someone that's willing to go that far to get a, a you know a maradona of something that rare like how many people would be willing to to go all in on something like that the other thing i was going to say is uh um on a card when you're spending that much on a card a lot of it is like the flex right it's like the the show off to your rich friends that you now own quote unquote the best maradona card so if you're in a the soccer community or you, you you know you and your buddies are like big into the soccer card market now you can sort of like trump them with the uh the best maradona <laughs> card that ever exists and there could be some debates amongst your friends of like is maradona the best of all time is it messi is it ronaldo is it pele and so this person may be putting their foot down that they think it's maradona definitely and it's 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 interesting to you know flex uh not just in uh, smaller, you know, social networks that you might have, but bigger ones too, like Instagram, like social media in general. Uh, there's there's a lot of clout that can come with being the owner of a card like this that was just conspicuously purchased for over half a million dollars. It's a status symbol. And uh, unlike some other status symbols, it's one that has a reasonable probability of appreciating, or at least sports cards in general do. All right, Josh, part of the reason that this Maradona was so cheap in January of 2020 is because soccer cards had not been recognized as an investment category in sports cards quite yet. During 2020, they began to be recognized as investments, and it seems that the goats of soccer have rapidly ascended to catch up to the prices of goats in other sports. Not just Maradona, but also Ronaldo, Messi, and Pele. These cards have seen parabolic rises recently as well. So tell me about the concept of parallel pricing across sports, which is basically the sports card investment theory 
that the cards of goats in one sport should be priced similarly to the cards of goats in the other sport. Tell me about how that works. Yeah, I would say like in the last year and a half, there's just been a really strong emphasis put on PSA 10 rookie cards, whether that's going to be a rare card or vintage. It doesn't it almost like it used to kind of matter which rookie card, but now it's that rule is sort of like expanded into, you know, as long as they're a good player or they're like a famous athlete or a wrestler in the case of the rock, like people are really reaching for the player first and then figuring out, okay, what now what's the rookie card and let me find the highest grade. And I think all of that knowledge and emphasis sort of really piled up. And then, you know, with the, with the explosion of soccer, um, people started looking, okay, who now it's like the next hunt is like, okay, in soccer, who are the greats, right? You start listing them off. People went after Messi and Ronaldo first. Then people started looking for like, okay, what's the Pele rookie? Someone eventually came around and found the, the Maradona rookie. You know, you probably just like Google who are the best soccer players of all time and start trying to find out what are their rookie cards. And then you find out, oh, this PSA 10 of this guy is a pop one. I've discovered a gold mine. This is an insane discovery. How has no one figured this out? Let me win this auction for $6,600. And then all these things took off all at once. Soccer, PSA 10 rookies just all hit at the, at the same time. And it's, it's, it's a wild number to, to hear you say. It is. And so that's a great point. It's a confluence of a number of different factors that all kind of neatly lined up for Maradona. PSA 10 surging, rookie vintage cards surging, low pop card surging, soccer goat surging. It all kind of is combined here in this one card, uh, neatly packaged and wrapped up in a PSA 10 slab. Christina, do you think uh, after this discussion we just had that um, it's any more relatable or understandable how half a million dollars could be spent on a card like this? I think it's understandable to the collector. It's just surprising to a lot of mainstream uh, sports fans that we're going back to 1979 uh, mm -hmm. uh, to a Argentinian player who played in Europe that I think a lot of Americans didn't know his name before this auction. And now they're trying to catch up and understand like a whole new market because this is a Jordan sum <laughs> that's yeah. been applied to soccer. And uh, so now people are, are, I think it's added more legitimacy to uh, soccer collecting. And what do you think, Josh? Have we broken through it all to help maybe explain how a car can go from seven grand to over half a million? And, and why that might happen. Yeah, but it's, it doesn't seem satisfying enough for me just because of how great of a rise it is. Like 500 just seems, it seems really high to me. I mean, mostly just on the on the surface of like the person who bought that probably saw the comp at 6,600. And so I just couldn't bring myself to paying 83X in a year. I think that's just like, that's the biggest hurdle for me more than anything else. And we, we see this all the time, people not willing to like pay over comps and to go get their grail card. And someone went way over comps to get this grail card. Like you could have just done like a, a multiplier of the soccer market and probably gotten from seven grand to like 50 grand. I just don't see how you can get to, and that's pretty high, right? Like seven X, if we're following just like the index of soccer market explosion, 10 X maybe, but I just don't see how you get to 83 X. So. This seems like a Bigfoot kind of case. I'm not sure that we're going to have a good answer. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, and it, it, even to 
people who love sports cards like us, um, you know, we not every buy makes sense to us. Uh, in fact, plenty of them don't sometimes. But uh, nonetheless, I, if I could sum up sports cars over the last year or so in one anecdote, it would be the story of this Maradona card, I think. All the parts fit all the way down to the auction house that sold it. Just what a headline. What an incredible, incredible story. Um, maybe the uh, the person who sold it will come forth and tell their story. Or maybe they'll do like most collectors and remain in the shadows, which is not a bad place to be. And we will leave it at that. Thank you for tuning in to Sports Cards Culture, episode 18. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for watching. Tell us in the comment section below what the crew should cover next week. And don't forget to subscribe. See you next time in SCC, Sports Cards Culture.